Hello, welcome to the October 25th, Tuesday edition of the OK Preps Extra Podcast. I'm with Barry Lewis, our high school sports editor, Dean Rule, high school writer, as always. Gentlemen, a pleasure to be with you. Barry, let's start with you. Uh, Grove had a, a, a very impressive performance last Friday in a win over Collinsville. Emmanuel Crawford, in particular, rushed for 345 yards. Unbelievable performance. How how good was that performance? You were, you were there. It was so good. It brought back, uh, it gave me flashbacks back seven years ago to uh, Josh Jacobs for uh, McLean at Casha Hall in 2015. And of course, Josh had a big, wound up having a big day this past Sunday, which was cool for the Las Vegas Raiders. I still have trouble saying Las Vegas Raiders. But uh, yeah, it doesn't sound right when you say that. It doesn't. Anyway, that's what it brought back uh, memories of. I something I could compare it to. Although in this case, Emmanuel Crawford's team won, as opposed to Josh Jacobs's team lost on that cold night back in 2015, which is about at the same time of the year. Which was an, such an incredible performance. Emmanuel Crawford did it all, and it was really interesting to see him do that because. This was only the second time I'd seen him in person play, of course. I've seen videos of him, and um, I named him to our all-state all team last year as a junior. And so, obviously, I've really liked what I'd seen on video, liked what I'd heard. and um, But to see him do that in person, that especially after earlier this year, I probably saw him see – saw what was probably the least productive game of his career when Wagner just totally shut him down, which now looks even more impressive that Wagner could do that. Uh, so just to see him explode like he did for 345 rushing yards, over 400 yards total last week against a team like Collinsville, a team that had won 21 in a row. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in that way, it was similar to Josh Jacobs because when Josh Jacobs had that great game seven years ago, he did it against a team that reached the 4A semifinals. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like he was just doing it against some team that's woeful, one and eight or something like that, doing it against top competition. So showing his greatness, doing it against top competition, the game of the week, big crowd. I mean, that's that's about as good as it gets. Um just a really, I was just really impressed, not just impressed with him, what he did during the game, but after the game, I'd never spoken to him before, never interviewed him before. Just really incredibly impressed by the answers he gave to not just my questions, but uh, all the questions that the media posed to him. Just really impressive in all ways. For those of us who haven't seen him play live, Barry, what, what style of runner is he? Well, I could say he's somewhat like Josh Jacobs. <laughs> I mean, he's someone who, if you just give him, if he just gets a little bit of an opening, that's all he needs. He'll just take off and go. I mean, he he can find an extra gear. I mean, he can bounce off tacklers. Uh, just just incredible. I mean, somewhat like Josh Jacobs. So you. You gave Grove a pretty good jump in your rankings, Barry, from eight to four. Um, could you make an argument that this should be even higher than that? You could make that argument because when you're undefeated, you could uh, sincerely argue that, hey, why shouldn't they be number one? But then you have to look, and I would respect that argument, <laughs> but then you have to look at who the competition is. 5A is just loaded. 
I mean, and somewhat you can say that about Muskogee in 6A2. And Dean, do I have them ranked? Muskogee and Grove ranked too low? In my opinion, I think you do, Barry. But uh, when we really look at that 5A class, it, it's hard. You know, only one team can be ranked number one. And that's the problem. What you're saying, I agree with there, is that that's deep. And you've got McAllister at two. Uh, when you've got a guy like Eric McCarty, it's hard to rank those guys low away. You got Dell City three. Same thing with Dell City when you got a uh, Jaden Foreman and a uh, Knigel Thomas. Hard to rank, uh, rank them lower than three. But the one thing that Grove has that they don't is an undefeated record right now. And uh, this late in the season, I think uh, when your lost column is unblemished, that's got to be worth. In my opinion, in my opinion, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Um, and, you, you know, we can make that argument with uh, with Muskogee, too. You got Choctaw, oh, Steel Wazell, and um, then you got Deer Creek, also 7-1. But once again, Muskogee undefeated. And uh, when I was out watching Muskogee this past Friday, I saw something that I didn't really think I'd, I, I would see. And I know Patrick was there as well. Um but when Jamarian Ficklin goes down, suffers an injury, I said, dang, this team might crumble. They had to bring in a freshman. This Booker T might be able to, to, to figure out how to, how to solve this. And uh, Booker T couldn't. Muskogee came out, got the win, um, emphatically got the win. And in my opinion, they're right there with Stillwater now. Well, we've got two issues there when you brought up the Muskogee-Booker T game. Uh, one was... And yeah, I'm glad you brought up the point about the two quarterbacks because I wrote a column in Monday's World talking about the importance of having two quality quarterbacks. It's just increased, uh, increasing as in recent years. You really need to have two quality quarterbacks. And Muskogee showed us because <laughs> it's the first time I think we saw the backup, at least in a meaningful situation, that it does have two meaningful quarterbacks. Got him through a tough, tough spot in the game when Ficklin was out briefly so um yeah there's so many teams using or who've had to go to two quarterbacks this year that I didn't have room to mention that Muskogee case from the other night so that was impressive from Muskogee and also re reminded me of Rejoice Christian uh when they uh, Chance Wilson went out in that game two weeks ago and one of the players even admitted yeah we're a little frightened there <laughs> but uh no need to be scared as it turned out because Kale Marley's come in and been super great <laughs> the last two weeks at quarterback and then there's the question and then there's the issue from the Muskogee Booker T game is you know when we were debating last week what's the game of the week and I think we'll call it a split decision as it turned <laughs> out the way our games went um you know Booker T how many times have people been fired up about Booker T and then they just let you down just another they just can't beat a good team uh, and it was not it's not even close I mean, just the last two times when they played Stillwater and Muskogee, it's not even close, Dean. Yeah, it's it's you know, you, you don't want to put it into, into the disappointing category on the year, but but they're now four and four, two weeks left. Um, you know, I, I just think people expected more. And just with the talent they have, you know, it, it, it you hate to see with the the level of talent they have what the record shows because I you know you think it shouldn't show that but regardless that's where they're at and and, and um you know that's tough but to your point um talking about two quarterbacks 
I think you could almost, you know, that, that could almost be seen as a, a benchmark of, of elite teams is do you have two quarterbacks that can come in and manage a game and, and do what they need to do? Because, uh, yeah, in Muskogee, the, the freshman who came in, Koda Barnowski, he went two for two, 78 yards and a touchdown. You know, now granted, had he stayed in the game, I'm not saying he would have kept up that being that efficient. But regardless, um, and yeah, Rejoice Christian, that you, you're right. That's a great example of, hey, they've got two quarterbacks who, who are capable and and know what they're doing and, and can make mature throws and mature uh, decisions. I think that might be the that might be part of a, a benchmark for for evaluating. Hey, is this team elite? And when things go wrong, can this team respond and recover and uh, win, uh, especially come playoff time? It really is amazing how many successful teams, not just this year but in recent years, have used two quarter had two quarterbacks play a significant amount of minutes, meaningful minutes, whether it's for strategic reasons because they you've got two really good quarterbacks who complement each other well or just because of injuries. We don't even need to bring up Bixby in their two quarterback system because they have two start two capable starters, but uh that's just Bixby at this point. In Bix in Bixby, they probably have even they really have more than two. We just see the two that share uh, <laughs> snaps in meaningful time, uh Kirby and Havens, but Having seen their third string quarterback, I know he's good. He just doesn't get a chance to play meaningful minutes. And then if they had to, I'm sure they could shift Cordell Goolsby over there and not miss a beat either. So uh, uh, they've really got great depth at quarterback at Bixby because we saw what we've seen what Cordell Goolsby could do at Tall Hall last year before he got hurt. Dean, uh, re remind me the the play that Ficklin got hurt on. That was an interception that Micah Tease pulled up and returned deep into Muskogee territory. Correct? Am I am I remembering that right? Yes, that that would have been. Um, I think either the last play or the close to the last play of the first quarter. Um, sent a blitz. Uh, linebacker got free. Went unblocked. Hit Ficklin pretty hard in the backfield as he he threw it. Uh, little wobbly throw. Micah Tease picks it off, and so Ficklin threw two interceptions in that game, which doubles his uh his season total from two to four. But um, yeah, Ficklin looked looked all right. I, I wouldn't say, and he'd probably agree with me that that it wasn't his best performance um on Friday night. But the two interceptions, he still was able to come in manage the game, uh, get get the win for them. But, uh, yeah, Ficklin, Micah Tease, that, that was the play there at the at the end well, of the first. The reason I bring that up, this is kind of another credit to Muskogee, that could have been a very big swing play in that game. Muskogee quarterback goes down, and he, he laid on that turf team for a little bit and wasn't moving. Um, yeah. And then when he got up and they kind of helped him off, he was limping pretty bad. So, you know, and then Booker T, star player, picks it off. They run it back into, you know, Muskogee territory. Uh, that could have been a real big momentum shift. And, and, and kind of what you said earlier about the freshman coming in and kind of taking control, uh, what could have been a big momentum shift really wasn't. Like, that's a credit to Muskogee, right? Yeah. Um, ooh, if, yeah, they uh, they drove. That, that was probably Booker T's best drive of the game and then Lathan Boone 
uh, through an interception. Yeah. Through an interception, they bring the freshman out. He hits uh, Caden McGee on a 40-yard pass into the end zone, and momentum went right back to Muskogee, and uh, they never let it go up to, after that. All right, guys. Oh, Barry, go ahead. Jump in. No, it just shows you where the programs are at right now because Muskogee, Muskogee's offense wasn't there, wasn't going, wasn't nearly in the high gear like it usually is, and Ficklin didn't have his best game, and yet they still win thirty to six. And now you've got Muskogee rolling, headed for a Week Ten showdown against Stillwater, which I'm sure we'll talk about next week. And you've got Booker T playing a third place game with Sand Springs on. Friday night, which looks pretty much like a toss-up, although I'm going to give Sand Springs, Bobby Klink wasn't totally, wasn't very happy last week, even though they won in overtime, and that was the good part for Sand Springs. They blew a 22-point lead, so um, Sand Springs and Booker T played a great game last year, and this year it looks like a uh, toss-up in a battle for third place. Let's talk about this week a little bit, guys. I, I sort of view this week as almost like moving day in a golf tournament where it's Saturday and you got one more round on Sunday. This is the second to last week of the regular season, so a good time to maybe get some wins. Uh, each of you can answer this. This week is import- most important for who? Uh, Barry, you go first. I don't know. Oh. Well, it, you could say it's most important. I mean, there's a couple ways to look at it. Uh, this is uh, two teams we don't usually talk about. Uh, Liberty and Mounds in that community, it is hugely important. It's the most important game, that rivalry, since uh, the last century, <laughs> since the 90s. Uh, because the winner, I mean, you got to love games like this. The winner goes to the playoffs and the loser doesn't. Usually you see these type of games in week 10 more so, but it's it's all or nothing, this game. I mean, the rivalry is great anyway. And then you've got that component where Liberty hasn't made the playoffs since 1999. And uh, it's it's winner take all as far as getting into the playoffs. So that's as big as it gets. Uh, obviously, there's some other important, interesting, interesting games. I'll be at Jenks for Broken Arrow Jenks. Again, it's sort of like Sand Springs and Booker T. It's the battle for third place. For, it seems like in that district, not uh, not what you expect from the, when these teams play through the years, but that's what it is this year. And um, Barry, Barry, how, oh, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry, Barry. How's Jinx with all their injuries? Are they somewhat back healthy, or are they still dealing with some things? Well, um, they've got two running backs back: uh, Jaden Carroll and Jalen Stanford. Uh, Jordan Schelling is out, but uh, was at least out last week. Um, so Jinx in Ty Walls looks in fine form. That was that was a really big injury earlier in the year. He is so valuable to them on both sides of the ball. And you could say the same for their lineman, two-way lineman, Milton White. He's back. Um, I guess Dean can tell you more about Jinx and I since he uh, he saw them in person last night, roll up nine last week, roll up 90 points, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, another big game. Uh, is Vanita Claremore Sequoia a battle for second in that district? And the reason that's important is uh, you get to host a first round playoff game. So they're second in the district, uh, battle uh, matchup of teams that whose only loss is to rejoice. So that's going to be very intriguing. Then you've got Holland Hall, Bristol and Holland Hall was very interesting to me because 
Remember when Holland Hall was 0-5? Doesn't seem that long ago. And people were wondering, what's wrong with Holland Hall? And um, lo and behold, they're, they've won three in a row, which is the longest winning streak in that district, which is really interesting because that district, everyone's beating each other. So um, all the leaders, uh, it's quite a scramble. Uh, Bristow, Vertigris, and Casha Hall for the district title. And then you've got Holland Hall. We're uh, suddenly they're in fourth place. Remember when we were saying, are they even going to make the playoffs? Well, they need still need another win to sure, ensure that. But uh, Bristol Holland Hall, a few weeks ago, we would have thought, oh, Bristol would win that easily. Well, now it's a toss-up. So that's a very intriguing game to me. And then you've got uh, Coweta at Dell City. I think that will tell us a lot about where those teams are in the 5A picture. Dean, who are you looking for this week? Yeah, I think uh, I think Barry uh, played the greatest hits right there of, of what's coming up. But uh, I, I really want to focus in on those last two games that he mentioned. Uh, Kuita at Dell City really uh, intrigued me, as well as Bristol Holland Hall. And, and with Holland Hall, uh, Barry, Barry got it right in that, hey, these guys are on a little bit of a win streak. They're kind of hot right now. And, it's you know, they need this win. If, if we're talking of, you know, moving day, you know, who's got the biggest implications going into this week, Patrick? I'd say it's Holland Hall for sure. Because if they can take down Bristow, Barry, I'd say they're a dark horse come playoff time because they're capable. I mean, they were state runner-up last year. And granted, they lost uh, Cordell Goolsby, but um, it's still that's still a good team. And that's still one that, despite starting off the season pretty rough, I think if they catch – if the they're surging at the right moment, and um, I think they could do something. And obviously, Kuita at Dell City, just going to be super telling of, of of just that class and how it all shakes out and who's playing who that first week of uh, of playoffs. So those are the two that I think are just super instrumental and important when we just talk about um, what it means for come playoff time. Yeah, you know, Holland Hall um... – they certainly, I mean, you say this a lot about a lot of the great programs like Jenks, and you can say that about Owasso now, which is surged back. Um, programs like that, even when they take some hits with injuries early in the season, they just know how to win. And it's just, it's in their DNA. They're winners, and they've got coaches who know how to win. And Holland Hall, after the two straight state titles, they're you know they're not going to go down easily. They know how to win, just like Jenks does after two straight state titles, and Owasso, which has won two titles in recent years. That that is just in their DNA, and they know what it takes to win. And so uh, they are going. All those teams, uh, they're going to be hard uh, out in the playoffs. I mean, uh, you, there, those are teams that you do not want to play in the playoffs. So Holland Hall, they had to think outside of the box to adjust their offense to the people they have this year. And, um, it took them a while and they had a really tough schedule early, but, um, uh, they've got it figured out and they're playing Holland Hall football right now. Uh, so we talked about jinx a little bit, guys. Uh, they beat Southmore 90 to nine. Uh, so let's briefly talk about mercy rule in large classes. <laughs> There's not one, obviously. Uh, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Should there be? Um, we don't need to debate all that right now, but 
given that Jinx put up 90 points, we might just touch on it. Uh, so let's just each of you kind of briefly give, give some thoughts on that. Barry, you go first. Uh, I, I still feel the way I did a couple of weeks ago, although I knew a lot, a lot of people would react when they saw 90 on the scoreboard. I will say I've never been to a high school game where one team has scored 90 points. I have, I've seen the 80s and I've heard of team, team scoring 90 or even more than 90. But uh, this, that was uh, quite an eye-opener when I saw that final score. Uh, but my feelings on that are still the same. Uh, I I'm sure Southmore will tell you that the reps that their kids got playing four quarters are going to help them, their young, their young players down the line. It's going to be extremely helpful. And I think that's a that's one of the many reasons, that, and we went over those a few weeks ago, that's one of the many reasons why I say um, go to the running clock or give the option of the running clock and uh, just play it out. Dean? Yeah, I think um, if we're just looking at this 90-9 win in just a microcosm, it probably should have just went to running clock in the second, in the second um, half. But I think by the time it got to the second half, it wasn't really a true football game anymore. I think it became more of a scrimmage, a practice. It's live reps. And Southmore super young. Because um, when we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, I had just spoken to the Southmore coach who lost 80-0 to zero to Bixby that week. And uh, and he said, hey, you know, this team, their, their quarterback's a, a, a true freshman. I guess in I guess in high school they're all there's no reclassification really but he's just a freshman. Um, this is a super young team, a ton of underclassmen, and so I'm just gonna assume that's what the thought was of hey let's just let's just let these kids play and experience and learn. Let's forget that score is even being kept. Let's just play, and then you know and uh, Keith Riggs at Jenks took took advantage of it too. You know Simeon Gilkey got to play. A large majority majority of that second half at quarterback for them. Um, so in my opinion, it, it just kind of turned into a scrimmage. And yeah, while touchdowns were being scored and and uh, there was no running clock, it, it really just almost became a practice, a, a scrimmage, whatever you want to call it. With that said, you know, I still think the running clock should should be implemented here. Um, I, I think you know don't don't cut the game short, but just implement the running clock and and, and just maybe breeze this along just a, a smidge because that was that game ended at about eleven, so about three and a half hour long game. Well, that you you say implement the running clock. Well, if Southmore, if they wanted to go to the running clock, they could have, but Southmore didn't want to do it. Yeah, that, yeah. And I've seen teams in similar situations not want to do it, and as you alluded to, Dean. At some point, it becomes like a scrimmage. I've seen that with Bixby this year. Teams they played other games that have gotten out of hand. Um, that it really becomes a scrimmage. It becomes a learning situation, and which can be valuable down the line. I mean, Holland Hall could have gone to a running clock when it was down 42-0 at half against Lincoln earlier this year, but they played it out, and it became sort of like a scrimmage, and that experience is helping Holland Hall's young players now. They're paying dividends. It's reaping dividends right now, so I think sometimes the fans take this harder than the players and coaches <laughs> as far as when a score gets out of hand, so it's, it's a real good point, whether there should be a running clock. Yeah, that's, that's a real good point, Barry. 
so Dean, you're uh, you interviewed uh, Gage Gundy at Stillwater last week in your your player interviews that you've been doing, your player podcast. Uh, that that has been extremely popular podcast for us. Well, I think it's our most downloaded ever, and and I, I need to double check that. But uh, a lot of people got into Gage Gundy. He had some interesting things to say, uh, but just wanted to kind of throw a tease out there that you'll be doing one this week. Not a hundred percent who yet, but uh, we'll you'll get that going, and we'll of course blast it out there for everybody to see. So great interview with Gage. If you haven't listened to that, or your interview with Austin Havens or Micah Tease, that was a really good one too. Uh, those are are in our archives. Go check them out. Dean's doing a great job with these player interviews. Uh, and Barry, uh, we're filming this on Tuesday. Uh, tomorrow, it's right. Tomorrow's photo day. It is. All right. Won't you talk a little bit about that? Very, very important day for us. It is very important. Tulsa, uh, our annual winter sports photo day held in October. It's going to be, it's a come and go event from 3.30 to 6.30 p.m. at Union's UMAC. And uh, teams are invited. I mean, we sort of put, um, focus it on the winter sports, basketball, swimming and wrestling. But basically a football teams who didn't make it in August want to come, they are welcome. And as well as spring sports teams, if they want to come, uh, they are welcome too. They are in, uh, they're invited. Um, coaches are invited to bring their top five to eight players. They can um, either wear a commonly asked question is what do they wear? What do the athletes wear? And basically it's uh, some wear their uniforms. That's fine. Probably a majority wear warmups and then some just wear clothes they would wear in a classroom. So uh, it's such a, so important to have photos on file because in order to be eligible for Tulsa World Athlete of the Week honors, we have to have a photo of the athlete on file. And if you come to photo day, that is insured. So uh, in the information we also get from the cards that the players fill out also is extremely helpful. So we encourage you to come to um, schools to bring uh, teams, all teams to come to our Tulsa World Photo Day, 3.30 to 6.30 p.m. Wednesday, October 26th at Union's UMAC. And Barry, you'll be there. Dean, you'll be there. So if anybody wants to pitch a story idea or just say hello or offer any thoughts, you guys will be there. So, uh, all right, guys, great stuff as always. Appreciate the time. We'll catch up next week. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Dean.